For those of you listening in for the first time or are new to the She Sells 2 network, we are Jenny and Ellen and we started She Sells 2 to empower women in sales. In this cross-Atlantic podcast with Ellen in Dublin and Jenny in Toronto, we're looking to empower women out there in sales to be their absolute best. In this podcast, we'll be sharing stories, tips and tricks, best practices, and the learnings we're getting along the way. Welcome to another episode of the She Sells 2 podcast. Today, we are so excited to bring back one of the first women that we interviewed for She Sells 2 when we all worked at Adroll, Silvia Sampere. Since then, Sylvia has left the world of sales and pursued her dream of traveling the world and working for a yoga retreat in the Pyrenees. We discuss why she experienced her job at the yoga retreat more stressful than her sales role, what sales taught her and which sales skills she to this day utilize when setting up her own company. Enjoy the listen and as always, follow us under She Sells 2 on LinkedIn and Instagram. Welcome to the She Sells 2 podcast, Sylvia. How are you today? I'm good. How are you, Jenny? I'm good. I'm good. We, like, as a lot of our listeners don't know, we know each other from when we both worked in sales at Adderall. And we got so excited when you agreed to, to record this episode with us. We've actually had several women reach out to us with questions around how sales skills are useful and, like, how they can use them in other jobs in sales. And we immediately thought of you and how you can shine some light on this and how sales skills have been valuable for you personally, even after leaving kind of the world of sales, so to speak. It feels like, first of all, it feels like every time I speak to you lately, you're in a new country. Would you mind sharing some background to, to who, who you are and uh, what your life looked like during 2020? Um, I'll first say that I'm super honored to be on your podcast. Um, I've been following you girls for a while, and I really, really love what you what you're doing with with she sells too. So I'm originally from from Barcelona. I'm I'm here right now. Um, I lived here for for most of my life until I finished university. But even, you know, since I can remember, I've always loved um, just living in different places, yeah. traveling and exploring, meeting, meeting like different people, even if it was just while I was studying and then eventually when I could start working. So <laughs> I'm not surprised that you say that because normally I wouldn't have been moving as much as 2020, um, but I've always loved um, living in different places. Yeah. 20, 2020 was uh, definitely a weird year. I'm probably not the first one to say that, but mostly because it was going to be the, the gap year that I had planned for um, the past two years. So it was going to be the year where I took six, seven months to travel um, mostly to Southeast Asia, to India, Thailand and Indonesia to to not only like experience the places but also um, get to practice and train to become a yoga and meditation teacher um, those yeah. are two practices that I deeply love and cherish and so after two months of being in India and and learning so much when when it got to March the situation was a little tricky and I decided to come back to Europe. Spain was in a in an even trickier situation. The, there was a strict lockdown, so I decided to go to Sweden. My partner is from there, and so 
I spent the next four or five months in Sweden, um, I guess, learning and doing a lot of the things that I had planned to do, which was to dive deeper into, into the things that bring me joy and that I wanted to understand better. Um, yeah. We yeah. got to build a vegetable garden from scratch and learn how to you know, grow food. I got to finally learn how to bake sourdough bread and, and, and I trained a lot in terms of yoga and meditation, which was the original plan, but obviously everything online. Um, and then eventually I went back to Spain when the borders opened. So I guess part of what I had planned for 2020 was there, but in another form and in another place. That's, uh, I had no idea that your initial trip to travel uh, Southeast Asia and like travel the world basically had to do with your, uh, your interest in yoga. I'm amazed and ha really happy to hear that it worked out and that you could practice in Sweden as well. It's uh, as you say, like, I don't think that, and it's definitely not the first time that we hear that 2020 is an odd year. Uh, and I think from what, can, from what I can hear, a lot of people would obviously have been very upset by that they couldn't do their trip around the world or something that they saved up for. And I'm curious to to just get your perspective of how did you feel when, when you realized that you had to kind of like stop your traveling and, and go back home and, you know, find another solution to what to do during 2020? Well, the truth is we never had to go home. So it was a very conscious choice there was a point where I remember our families called us and they were like, well, if you stay, just assume the consequences of staying. And if not, you can always, you know, you can come back home. But we didn't know whether, you know, the different countries we were planning to go were going to open, close, open again or close again the borders. So we just chose to stay on the safe side because this was this were just such exceptional um you know, circumstances. Yeah. So I guess it was just a choice between following the plan because we had a plan or actually changing our mind and choosing, you know, uh, I guess safety and, and health because we didn't know what if we got the virus, what if we got into an accident and, you know, the hospitals are collapsed and we don't know anyone here. So... I guess it was a very easy choice considering the situation in the world at the time. Yeah, no, that, that makes sense. And I'm, uh, yeah, that, that's, it's something that I really admire with people as well that, that kind of took that decision. And as you said, for you guys, it wasn't even like a choice in terms of you just felt that this is the clear way, like we should do things and we should go back home because it's, it doesn't make sense to keep on traveling like, like you were doing. And that's something that I really admire when people do, because it is such like a severe time and, you know, it's, you know, you never know what's going to happen. So, yeah, I'm, I'm really impressed by that as well. And it, you were one of the first women that we interviewed, uh, just going back a bit in time here for, and we, we actually did a written article for you for She Sells 2 back when we both worked at Adderall. And would you mind sharing a little bit more about just how you got into sales in the first place? Yeah, I remember that article um, that you remember you posted it on stories. Um, yeah. Well, when I finished university, I was really craving um, independence and work experience. Um, I wasn't interested in studying, uh, at least not um, right after. 
and I had a, I remember I had a strong desire to enter the working world, but mostly to get into an industry or an organization that was, um, I guess sounds cliche, but that it was fast growing and, and fast paced and that it really encouraged people from the get go to take on responsibility that wasn't hierarchical and that it was kind of a, a young place. So flexible and, and not like, um, you know, stuck in the old ways. So I got an internship in a CPG company. I'm not sure you know this. Um, I got an internship in Barcelona um, and that first year, um, it was it was an amazing experience. Uh, but at the time and throughout that whole internship, I knew that I wanted to move abroad and I knew that I wanted to get into tech and that feeling only grew stronger and stronger. So throughout the whole internship, even my my workmates, my colleagues there knew that I was applying for jobs in Dublin, in London, in Berlin, which were at the time the main tech hubs. And eventually I got a, a few interviews in London and Dublin. And then I, I ended up in, in Adderall, where we met. But the thing is, when I applied for these jobs or when I was reaching out to these companies, I didn't really know what the sales role really entailed. So I just knew that sales was the main access point to get into a tech company for people with my kind of background. Yeah. And I wasn't into like, uh, I hadn't really studied, uh, you know, any financial courses or I wasn't interested in accounting. I had done a little bit of that in the past. So I just applied to sales because I had been told that it was uh, a great job for people, um, like um, relation people, like people who love people. Yeah. Um, yeah. And someone told me that I'd be good at that. But it's crazy to think that back in university, I don't remember learning what a sales, you know, what salespeople do, which is it's kind of crazy. And of course, that's that's my university and that's my um, that's my degree. But yeah, essentially sales was the I wouldn't say easiest, but the most suitable and natural access point for me to get into tech. I love that you say that. And one thing that I heard you say there that I've rarely heard, and because we hear a lot, I would say from 90% of the people that we speak to and we experience it ourselves, is that we never hear about sales or what salespeople do in university. Like no one from what I've spoken to has any clue leaving university that like sales <laughs> is an actual career path that you can take and it's not that like last way out like on how to get a job you know or you want to move abroad like you need to apply for sales because that's the quickest way into a company or whatever it could be so that um we're used to hearing that part but I'm curious because you said you wanted to get into tech how did you know that you wanted to get into tech I'm not sure. I think this is a this is a very simple answer, but it's what I remember. Yeah. And I just know that as I was finishing my degree in, I finished my degree in Vancouver. I did an exchange program there for six months. And as I was finishing, I wrote a list of all the cool companies or, you know, cool in my eyes back then in my 21 year old self, uh, cool companies that I would love to work for. And many of those were tech. And what I what I understood by cool was, you know, quite young companies and again, like really fast paced and that I knew from speaking with people that they they were hiring young people to do a lot of work, not just to do the work that no one wants to do, but to actually they want to like people who 
you know, are accountable and who can take on responsibility. And I was really craving that. Um, but it all started with a list. And many companies that, of course, I later applied to weren't on that list. But that's because I wasn't in the tech world or I'd say I had never done uh, proper research. So it was only when I made that first list that I eventually discovered many other companies like like Advil, for example. Yeah. Oh, that's really cool. I didn't know that because it's like it's rare for me to hear when I speak to people that are working in sales that they were specifically looking to get into tech. It's more kind of like, oh, they found me or kind of or it would be, as you say, to be honest, it would be like the tech giants. So maybe like it would be cool to work for Facebook or Google. So, yeah, uh, that's really interesting. I didn't know that. Um, and so how would you say that sales has impacted you both on a professional and a personal level in so many ways there are so many so many skills abilities that i believe you can develop and then take with you anywhere in sales you're constantly working and dealing with so many different people i mean you know that and i think working with so many people can bring about all kinds of different situations and so I've always seen these situations, and I still do, as, as opportunities. They're opportunities to practice skills and to eventually develop like strong abilities. And I have a hard time separating personal and professional because at the end of the day, we're one person. And what we learn outside of work, what we learn at work, it all kind of gets mixed together. I guess one of the first things that I noticed is that in sales, you are really, you you have to get used to being out of your comfort zone. You, from day one, you are, you know, you are asked to put yourself out there to do scary things or, you know, at the time, scary things to take risks. You are most of the time navigating new or somewhat uncomfortable situations. And although that can sound like, oh, that doesn't sound nice, it's actually how you learn the most. I discovered in those first months in my sales development role that uh, humans are super adaptable. Like it's really amazing how much you can learn and, and, and grow and how many things you can do only after a few, even weeks that you didn't think you could do. You also, you also learn a lot how to how to listen so i've always thought and i think i'm not alone here i've always thought that a sales role means you're pitching all the time um and honestly it's about listening more and pitching less i remember at the end um the last year year and a half when i was in uh in ad role in sales I was almost never pitching. I was always listening and asking questions. And I think that's very common at the beginning when you enter a sales role, you think you're gonna have to be very good at talking and selling whatever you're selling. But it's it's so much more about really listening, about being analytical. So knowing you know what is needed, why do we need it? How do we achieve it? Uh, you know, what are our options? and Whose help do we need? Um, what resources do we need? When? So it's like all of these questions that come from dealing again with so many different people and situations, asks and needs. You also 
you also learn to stay competitive. I am. Um, I think when you enter a sales org, some people can be intimidated by the competition. I actually found that um, the competition was a lot of fun, um, mostly because it was healthy competition. Of course, there's unhealthy one. Um, but I remember in the sales development team, there was a very, very young, um, competitive like atmosphere there, which really kept me learning and helped me stay updated and and helped me like really um, stay motivated. And it was not just competition with others, but also you stay competitive with yourself. You're constantly wanting to improve. And because you're measuring a lot of your work with numbers, but also with the you know quarterly rolling reflections, which I actually just looked at before this call, I was like, oh, let's go down memory lane. Um, and you know, they they ask of you to to really measure what you've done and to have goals and to look towards what you want to become. And that's incredible. That makes you grow so much faster. Um, and then so many other things. Like you you learn how to manage stakeholders, you learn how to deal with rejection, and that for every yes, there are, I don't know, a hundred no's. You, you learn diplomacy, you know, you learn how to deal with so many different teams and people and different interests and, and asks. And then, of course, you're you're all this time you're building really strong relations and working in a team. Hopefully you're learning what accountability means. You're learning to help others and also to let others help you when you need it. And you learn to make mistakes. And I know that's a long list, but really it's. There are so many things that, of course, you would learn in any job, but I think sales, coming back to the first point, because it throws you out there from the very beginning mm -hmm. and it puts you out of your comfort zone in so many different ways that you just you just learn a lot about how much you can do. And that is that is amazing, especially when you come from, you know, when you just come out of university and you don't know what you're capable of. Um, it's really amazing to realize, wow, you know, I can do so much. I love hearing that. And it's, uh, you can tell from all the points that you just said there that why you were such a thriving person and also just like thriving in sales in terms of, I know a lot of the competitions that you spoke about and it's, <laughs> you're very humble when you talk about it, but I do know that you won, for example, like a pitch in front of our senior leadership and you want a trip to San Francisco. So yeah, it's uh, it's beautiful to hear you talk about sales that way and everything that it brought you and how much you learned from it. And one thing that I really uh, took from that as well is exactly what you said about the pitching. Because I think anyone who is in sales development, before you go into your first account uh, management or account executive role, you will always be, you will always think that you will have to know the product, every detail in and out, because mm -hmm. you're supposed to pitch and pitch and pitch and talk and know every single thing. But taking that step back and understanding that the role is actually about listening and asking questions and listening again and understanding the pain, you makes you just realize when you're doing it, um, and it's uncomfortable in the beginning, but just asking those hard questions as well is key to, to a sales role and not, not the pitching itself. So I think that's, a, that's yeah. a brilliant point. Uh, and it's it's been a couple of years now since you left sales. I know you started as an SDR and then you worked as an account manager. 
taking a step back from from something usually gives you a different perspective of it. Looking back now, what are what are your some some of your fondest memories working in sales as an account manager? Well, I'll try to sound uh, as least cheesy as I can, but honestly, my fondest memories are of the people I met and worked with by far. I guess this is also because I I really enjoy working with with others. And I know it's not always easy, uh, but it, it gives me so much energy. So this comes, I guess, from my, like a really core value for me, which is I think building relations is, is not only the foundation to do great work, but it's also a basic human need. And so this connects with, you know, the best memories for me are the people I worked with, especially at the beginning, I was super lucky. I started in a very diverse team, uh, the SDR team at the time. I think we were about 12 people. Um, there were a couple of Irish people, um, and there were Swedish, French, German, um, Italian, and and me. And, and it was really, really exciting because all of us were sort of at the beginning of our careers. And we also had, we were very lucky also because we had a manager that to this day, um, she, or I consider her one of my mentors, Beth. Um, she was an incredible reference to have uh, the beginning of, of my career. And I would wish that beginning, that team and that sort of manager to anyone because it's really encouraging I remember it was very, the atmosphere was very supportive. It was fun. Again, it was very competitive. I can promise you that. Um, and it was super diverse. We were all so, so different. And we were all working for different markets. But at the same time, we were so similar in so many ways. And we could relate. We could help each other at the same time that we were competing and we were trying to hit our targets. So I guess this just, comes down to the culture. So the culture of a company is what helps or supports this kind of teams. And this the culture of a company is what gets this kind of people hired. And I can say, and, and I, I think you can agree with me that the culture at Advil was so alive. It was, uh, it's truly a special place to have worked at. I think no one who ever works there would say anything different. It's, uh, especially as you say, with I just remember when people were having sales calls and then like it, the Italians were walking down the, the aisles, like hand gesturing, you know, and the Nordic were like, we were sitting in the corner, but more quiet. And like, it's just like the UK people, the Spanish people, like people from all over the world and everyone's so different, but yet there's something with everyone that just brings us together. Like the differences brought us closer, not apart. And I think that was like the genuinely cool thing. They really found a group of people. And I don't know how they, they picked everyone, but it just worked so well. And like, I, uh, yeah, so I completely agree with you. And I don't think it's cheesy at all to say that it was the people that is like one of the fondest memories because it's, it genuinely is. And it's beautiful to hear that you say that as well. Taking, moving forward in, in your, um, and what happened in your life like you genuinely went from from one of the most at least some say stressful jobs there is with target achievements and quota attainment and and so forth um and then you moved to the pyrenees where you you started working for a yoga retreat how how was that transition and 
Could you tell us a little bit more about that journey? So the transition was somewhat bumpy. I came from a highly structured, target-driven and profit-oriented organization and moved to an unstructured, um, love-driven uh, five-people team. Wow. So it, it might sound funny, but would you believe me if I said, I remember experiencing more stress working at the yoga retreat center than during my time in sales. Wow. It's, uh, yeah, I actually learned a lot about stress during that time. And when I tell friends, when I tell family, they look at me like, what are you talking about? How could you, how could you get stressed at a place like that? But yeah. we tend to think, for example, we go to a cafe and we have such a lovely time and we eat such great food and we think, wow, it would be amazing to work here. Yeah. And going to a place as a customer is very, very different from actually running the show. Um, and so one of the biggest lessons I learned um, when I started working in the Pyrenees was that stress, first of all, is relative. So there's a definition of stress for each one of us. Mm -hmm. Different people are triggered by different experiences, by different people, by different situations. And it's going to be different for all of us. And the second thing I learned is, and I learned it really by, by experiencing it, is that stress is a response. So just to give you an example, and I'm sure you've seen this uh, in, in, you know, in AdWall or in Slack, yeah. the same yeah. quota can get a stress response from me, for example, but not from you or the same manager or client could get one person's heart rate up and another not a bit faster. And with this, I mean is, with this, I mean targets and quotas actually gave structure and clear goals to my job. Yeah. And I only realized that by working in the, in the yoga center, which is, wow, I actually really enjoy having clear targets, being able to measure how I'm doing, understanding what processes are in place, uh, it, you know, being able to be consistent. All of those things help me do the work back in sales. Um, and in, so in that environment and organization, it was relatively easy to develop those things that I considered key to do my work well. Mm -hmm. And also, you know, this is not to say like, I learned so many things and enjoyed my experience at uh, Casa Cuadrao, at um, the yoga center. What it means is just I learned a lot about myself in the, in the way that I realized that I thrive more easily uh, or more naturally in highly structured environments, in environments where, of course, there's flexibility to, you know, to, to change things, to do things your own way. But environments like in, in the sales works, you and I have worked at where you can actually understand what processes you have to go through. Um, you can actually even A-B test things. You can understand how you're doing it on any given day. Whereas in Casa Cuadrao, the thing is we were a five, five people team and there weren't many processes in place yet. Um, so. I was the one having to really develop those things to create environments where I could um, navigate. Um, I don't know if this answers your your question. 
No, it's perfect. I, uh, and it's nice for me to hear as well that um, that I'm not just, you know, brainwashed by the, the that I worked in sales and never really left sales over the years as well, because I feel the exact same way. And I can't actually imagine working somewhere where I don't have specific targets on my back in if I yeah, to express it that way, because I know going into every month, every quarter, every day, what is expected of me? How do I get there? And what can I do to get there? And it's just so nice to know as when you have a target that it's like, and then all of a sudden you see that you overachieve that target. You're kind of, you can find like, you can relax because you know that you did what, what was asked of you in a sense. So when you mm -hmm. don't have that structure to your everyday and what is exactly expected of me and what, how do I get there or what like different, exactly as you say, say like the, the structure needs to be there. And I feel, I find calm in that as well. And um, so it's, uh, it's really funny that you say that. And I think it's something that before you tried sales, you would probably look at us uh, as your, your family did and just like, what are you talking about? But mm -hmm. I, I completely agree. Oh, I was just going to add that um, I also remember that uh, the first few months, I actually struggled because I, I had been like over three and a half years in really measuring my performance and like tracking so much of what I did. And for the first time, I I just couldn't know how well was I doing. Like, and that was... Um, and that was quite disturbing in a sense that in a way that I think there's a risk when you've spent so much time, I'm not talking even about me, but when you've spent years and years working in a sales org, say for example, you know, you get used to measuring your performance on revenue. Mm -hmm. What happens when you don't generate revenue, when you don't reach target? Does that mean that you're not doing well? Does that mean that your work is not valuable? And you can, I think there's a risk of getting stuck in that. So I also learned that it's very important to, and I know this is hard to actually do, but it's important not to get stuck on the numbers, even though they are important and that's what the company looks at. Mm -hmm. But I think someone who achieves target doesn't necessarily, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're doing um, all their work well. It, it doesn't, the number doesn't show how much they're working as a team, how much they're teaching others, how much they are actually helping the team um, succeed. There are many things that do not appear in that revenue target or number. Um, and I I even had a tar hard time last year in, in the retreat center actually just coming up with new ways of, of knowing whether I was doing my work well, because I think it's a natural, also a natural need to, to know if, the work that we do is, you know, is it validated? Is it is it valuable? Um, are people appreciating it? And so I think listening to clients, speaking with your colleagues, speaking with your manager, getting feedback is a is a good way of balancing that revenue number, that revenue target, and a way to to you know to um, keep your mental health uh, on check. Really good point. Couldn't agree more. It's uh, and uh, on that point, I know you mentioned it a little bit, but I just want to dig a little bit deeper there. So, so what made you decide to leave sales? Because I truly believe that there are so many people out there that currently 
you know, have dreams of leaving their jobs. And like, it sounds like the dream scenario moving to the Pyrenees and, and do yoga and work at a yoga retreat. So, but there's a lot of norms in society today where it's like, this is what you're supposed to be at this age, or this is what you're supposed to achieve or, and so what challenges did you face except from in the work itself, when you did decide to, to break up from, from the, from the job you had in Dublin and make that huge move? What, what went on in your head? Well, first I'll, I'll have to um, give a, a bit of a disclaimer that I am in no sense over that feeling of, oh, where should I be now? When I think it's hard to, and it takes time to let go of those social norms um, that we grow up with. So I'm in the process as well. Mm -hmm. um, in 2016, 2017, I decided that I wanted to, at some point, take uh, take a break to explore the world, both out there and, I guess, within me. I felt there were things I wanted to experience and know before going down a path for real. Of course, now looking back, um, my 23, 24-year-old had this idea that <laughs> you choose one path and then there you go for the rest of your life. Um, of course, that's, you know, looking back, that sounds a little naive, yes, but that's a, that's how it feels for many people, especially when they, um, at the beginning of their career, they feel that, wow, I need to make the decision and it has to be the right one. Mm -hmm. So I guess I just wanted to, I decided I wanted to take a break to actually make a conscious decision to give myself the time to explore other options, other ways of living. And, you know, this took time, it took preparation. So this was 2016, 17, and I left in 2019. Mm. Um, it took some commitment and some self-awareness. Um, it also took a notch from like some of my friends and my partner. Um, but from the beginning, from that point when I made the decision, I started to save. I was already saving, but I really got serious about it. Um, I didn't know exactly what I was saving for. I didn't know if it was going to be a like a trip, maybe a project, a business idea. What I definitely knew was that I was saving to to be able to have the autonomy and the freedom to choose what I would do next. Um, the good thing in sales is that if you work really hard, um, you have the chance to, to, you know, to, to get that autonomy, to become economically independent. Um, so that was one of my first goals. Um, but then, of course, there were some challenges. There were the internal challenges, which uh, the first one is that I'm super risk averse. Um, which is funny because uh, a lot of people think, well, if you get into sales and you work with commissions and bonuses and all that stuff, well, you can't be risk averse. Well, I'm super risk averse. Um, and that comes with having many doubts, with you know wanting to take, of course, as little risks as possible. And so it was actually funny because as I was about to leave, maybe six months before I left, new opportunities for new roles opened up to me. And, and that made the choice so much harder because those roles were the, I will say false, but they were the false security that, that kind of you, you crave when you're, when you're like me, when you were like, well, you know, I, I, I want stability and I don't want to do anything too risky. 
so that was on the one hand it was like well my own internal challenges that i had to deal with and negotiate with um and then the second one was external like an external challenge was a few people that i deeply admire um both at work and in my family could just not understand my decision um they had extremely different views and they were very open about it which i appreciate i think things well said even if they you know they're different from my opinions or my views can be very can be very helpful because they are challenging your views and so they are making sure that what you're choosing is you know is stable inside of you like you really really have thought about it and so that was a that was another one because i also am a person who listens uh listens to others and i i ask for advice and i care about what um what people I love and respect uh, think. So it took a lot of building confidence. Um, and so one of the things I decided, for example, is that if I left, it was gonna be in Spanish, we say to leave um, through the big door. Yeah. So it's like yeah. saying you don't leave through the back door, you leave through the big door. And that basically means I wanted to leave doing my job really, really well. I wanted to ensure that I had the confidence that if I ever wanted to come back, um, I would have the knowledge, the skills, the experience to do so. Mm-hmm. So that really, really helped. So it, for anyone who's considering making a change, um, you know, or taking a break, I think a lot of a lot of people might feel demotivated at work. And for me, one of the biggest motivations was, well, whatever I do next, I want to make sure that what I'm doing now and how I leave is, you know, leaves a memory of me, mm-hmm. both in others and in me, that is, you know, is, is worthwhile, is a memory of hard work, of doing the best that I can. And it might sound very idyllic, but that's how I felt at the time. And so I guess a combination of that and and the fact that I was practicing a lot of meditation and yoga at the time really helped me develop a deeper layer of confidence in myself. And so I guess I could I could hear the different voices and, and approaches in my own mind a little bit better. And instead of rejecting or ignoring the opposing views that we all have in our heads, we all have different voices that tell us different things at different times. You know, I was able to acknowledge them and consider them and integrate them into my decision making. I did feel at times that I was running a race that wasn't mine. And so I guess that was one of the main reasons I decided to leave. I felt like, you know, I I was at times afraid of stepping out of the so-called wheel. But I realized that that wheel uh, will always be there. And although it sounds cliche, you are only really racing against yourself. So at the end of the day, what I what really got me to take the step was that I realized that you decide what you're competing for and what your measuring bar is actually measuring and no one else does. And so this this can be money or status. Um, this can be, you know, how much you're helping others or how much you're having an impact on X, Y, Z. Um, it can be whether you're living a more or less meaningful life. So I guess we just need to all maybe discover what that measuring stick is 
for each one of us instead of trying to grab someone else's measuring stick and measure ourselves with it. So I guess to wrap it up, it's like I decided, well, I want to choose my race and I want to choose what I'm working towards. Yeah. Um, I read this article from actually a Swedish, um, it's a Swedish website called liveslowrunfar.com. Mm -hmm. And they have a beautiful article um, where they ask at the end, you know, what would you do if no one was watching? Or, you know, what would you do if you weren't afraid? And these two questions can lead you to very many places. Um, so yeah, that was a long answer, but that was that was a long process too. I I love that answer, and especially not measuring yourself with someone else's measuring stick is just puts like that image on what I do think is the core issue to why a lot of people find themselves in positions where they, as you said as well, like they run someone else's race. Like it's just you know you you might not feel like you belong there or you might not want to be exactly there but everyone else is so it's hard to leave that wheel and um again it's incredibly impressive that you did listen to all those voices also had people around you that challenged that mindset but still you went for it and that is a perfect segue segue into into my next question here because I know that you recently did start your own business uh, as we spoke about last week could you would you mind sharing a little bit more about what that what your what your business is all about and what you're looking to achieve with it? Yeah, so uh, right now what I'm I'm testing two theories. The first one is can I monetize the things I love doing? And the second theory is do I find joy in making my hobbies my work? And so to, to give a bit of context to this, um, you know, one of my big loves or passions is cooking um, and anything to do with food. So growing food, um, you know, how the market works, um, the different, different ingredients you can buy um, from like uh, cooking techniques and, and photography and flavors, everything connected with food is something that really fascinates me. Mm -hmm. um, and so a few years ago, I started a cooking blog just for fun, um, the Sylvia Cooks uh, blog. And I did it as a, an outlet to, to my love for cooking. And, and because I wanted to understand food better, and I had read somewhere that writers usually or sometimes write about what they want to learn about. So a lot of times when we read a book, we think that, oh, we're reading it because this person has so much to tell us about this and they're an expert in this field. But the truth is many times these um, authors actually are interested in developing or understanding a topic. And so they decide to write a book about it. Mm -hmm. So my reason for opening the blog was first to gather all the recipes that, that you know, I was cooking. And second, I wanted to do a lot of research. Um, well, I was already doing research on food and cooking, but I was not, I was not um, putting that research into good use. Um, I was bombarding my family and friends with information instead of just maybe writing it down and allowing anyone who wants to read it. So this last year, especially after we had to come back from, from Southeast Asia, we, or I, I had to reconsider what I would do next. And so I started 
researching and, and sort of coming up with ways where I could maybe monetize this thing that I love doing. Um, and so part of it required knocking on doors, reaching out to people I didn't know, um, leaving doubts and insecurities uh, in bed as I got up in the morning. Um, and so just to give you an idea, what I'm doing right now is just I'm, I'm reaching out to different companies and people who might need um, food or recipe development and food content. And I'm, I'm basically approaching them, trying to help improve their business, offer value to their clients. Um, and so I guess sales skills uh, have helped me a lot in, in, you know, in this recent, um, in this last few months. Yeah. You know, whenever, whenever I look at a company or, or a, at a brand, I first think about, okay, what are their needs? And that that's one of the first things that they teach you or that you learn in sales is figure out the prospect's needs, you know, and for that you're putting into use imagination, empathy, and the king of sales skills, which for me is listening. When you outreach or reach out to potential clients, um, you have to be very good at written communication or at, uh, you know, calling mm -hmm. because you normally only get one chance. And when you're selling what you do or just ex essentially explaining who you are and what you can do for them, it's all about building that relation, about understanding what they need, about having some self-awareness, about showing that you're, you know, you have the expertise in that field. And so you, you need to learn how to play on your strengths. And that's something that um, definitely you learn in sales. And then again, coming back to one of the things I said before, you like I've had to deal with rejections, yeah. but because I had already dealt with so many rejections back in the, especially in the SDR sales development days, yeah. um, you build a lot of resilience and you build a lot of confidence and you truly understand that, you know, you can get no, many no's, but that doesn't necessarily mean, or that doesn't always mean that what you're offering is not valuable. It just, it might mean you need to fine tune who you're reaching out, for example. You know, it yeah. can mean many things. Yeah. And then I guess what I realized is that, and this is also very um, like a sales cliche phrase, but people buy people, not just products. Yeah. So it's very important that you are good at what you do. You're good at your job. What you offer is valuable. But knowing how to sell, sell yourself is a huge part of it too. And this doesn't mean playing out like you're someone that you're not. In my experience, doing things with genuinity, I don't know if that's a word, but doing things really coming from a, a place of really who you are is 10 times better in the long run. First, you don't need to make such an effort. You don't need to act as if you're someone else or as if you're selling something else. You. I think it's very important to know yourself and and really figure out, you know, what you can offer, what you especially can offer. Um, so all of those things have really helped me out in the in the last few months. That's amazing, and I also really like that you you say that your SDR role has helped you with your current like building and considering building from scratch, like your own company and how much those skills actually brought you uh, till this day. It's, uh, I love that. It, it's so also part of what we always ask uh, is, 
just at the end of our episodes, we always ask everyone, like, if someone is considering a career in sales right now, what would your advice to them be as having been an SDR, having been an account manager, but also having left the sales world right now and started your own business? It's a, it's a big question. There is a, um, a motto, I think you say it like that, a motto or a, a phrase that has come with me for a long time, where there is a will, there is a way. It just sums up a lot of, of what I've learned in sales. What I would say to someone who's considering or who's already applying is where there's a will, there's a way. Ask questions, listen, learn, improve, try again. Don't be afraid to put yourself out there and and to make the most out of the the relationships and the people that you meet in whatever situation that is, because you never know where that will take you. That's great advice. And just to finish us off, one last question here. It's been so lovely chatting to you. And let's just dare to dream a little of having 2021, like a blank page in front of us. What is your vision for the year? And what would make you consider it being a happy, really successful one for you? Hmm. Um, I think I told you this before. This when I when I hear this question um, or this kind of question, I always get a little bit of vertigo. Um, I have to say I'm not a great planner, and I think life confirms more and more that it's it's good to have a plan, but it's also good not to get too attached to it. Um, but having said that, I would consider a happy, successful 2021 when you know i can look back say at the end of this year and i i can say that we're all healthy i think health has come up to the top of the list for most of us in this planet and i'm also right now uh in the midst of deciding where i'm going to settle for the next months or years so i want to be able to have found a place to live where i where i truly feel at home um where I'm hopefully close to nature. So that, that's a big one for me. I want to be, or I want to look back knowing that I've worked with interesting people on exciting stuff. I want that my work is, is one that brings me joy and that challenges me and where I'm, I'm growing. And hopefully that, you know, that are, that the topic around which my work is, which of course I'm trying new things uh, at the beginning of this year, but it's one that uh, allows me to have freedom of time and space and, and you know, that I actually enjoy and I'm in, really interested in. And yeah, and I hope that at the end of this year, um, I'm really enthusiastic and that we're all looking forward to 2022 and looking back where, you know, we're happier or, yeah, we're happier uh, than, than how many of us have finished this 2020, which is, you know, uh, it was with that weird sensation. So I hope that at the end of this year, not just me, but all of us can actually have a have a sense of more um, of comfort inside of us. I couldn't agree more. And I think starting the year with this podcast, as at least for us, got to be one of the like absolute highlights. I couldn't have started it better. So thank you so much for taking part of uh, of the podcast. And it was so amazing to hear all of your insights, all of your thoughts, how you thought about it, how you experienced sales. Uh, and I know our 
our listeners are going to take so much away from this episode. So thank you so much, Sylvia. Thank you so much, Jenny.